Luke 23, 38-43. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurtled insults, insults at him. Aren't you, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you hear? Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Good morning to my church family. I uh, want to give a special thanks for uh, the elders and to Jay for giving me this opportunity to be here to tell you, uh, to bring a message to you about God's word. And I especially want to give a thanks to you as a congregation for willing to put up with me for the next little bit. Um, as you know, we will be continuing our study that Jay kicked off uh, at the beginning of the year, and that is being totally devoted to God. A key component to being totally devoted to God is that we show love for sinners today, whether they are within our church or outside of it. Um, we need to learn how to do that. We will be looking at some key scriptures from God's Word to help us understand, understand that better. And so I will be breaking up my lesson into three main parts. Part number one will be, as I mentioned, we'll be looking at Two examples in particular uh, from God's word on how Jesus demonstrated his love for sinners. And point number two will be how we have been forgiven today. I think it's important to remember that God forgives us daily. And lastly, how do we put that into practice? What does that look like today in a practical sense? And so to begin the lesson, I wanted to tell you a story about a man who was on his deathbed. Upon hearing this, the man requested that two of his best friends uh, to come visit him. He had just been informed that he only has a few hours to a couple of days to live at Mass. And so he asked uh, two of his friends to come. And now one of them was uh, an attorney and the other one was a doctor. When they came into the room, he requested that one sits on the left and the other one sits on the right. And the man just laid there with his eyes closed, completely silent. Um, the attorney reached over and he said, hey, hey friend, you know, we're, we're terribly sorry to hear about your condition. Is there anything you'd like us to, help, to, 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 to do for you? And the man said, no, no, nothing at all. And so he went back, closed his eyes and was all silent again. The doctor reached over and he said, listen, friend, we're, we're extremely sorry to hear this. We are willing to do anything for you. And the man opened his eyes and he said, there's nothing that I need done. You see, I wanted to die just like D Jesus in between two thieves. <laughs> now, joking aside, we seem to make fun of or criticize certain professions until we need them, don't we? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus was both. We know that Jesus was an advocate for us. 
And scripture also tells us that Jesus was a great physician. We know that Jesus died in between two thieves based on the scripture we read. Now, Jesus didn't just die in between bad company. He also spent a majority of his life with bad company. And so, the first uh, story I wanted to tell you is found in Matthew 9. I'll be picking up in verse 9 to 13. Again, that's Matthew 9, starting in verse 9 up until 13. I'll give you a moment to get there. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So the significance of Matthew 9, I think uh, it's important to look at uh, the tax collectors and who who they were in Jesus' time. Now, tax collectors were considered to be morally and spiritually dirty. They were considered to be spiritually dirty because their involvement with the Romans. They worked for the Roman Empire. And in the view of the Jews, they were considered to be spiritually dirty. They were also morally dirty because they, um, the Romans would set out a certain quota that they would have to collect. And once they had met that, whatever they overcollected, they put in their pockets. And so you can begin to see how lucrative tax collecting is as a business. Uh, no Jews would associate with them whatsoever. In fact, tax collectors were considered to be some of the loneliest people in society. Oftentimes they were excluded from many uh, Jewish holidays. They were not allowed to enter a lot of synagogues as well. And not only was it just the tax collectors, but this also stemmed down to their families as well. Now, when Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, this looked like a terrible public relations move in the eyes of the Jews. Not to Jesus, however. Jesus takes this uh, relationship to another level by goes to share a meal at Matthew's house with other tax collectors. Now, being somebody who was born in a Middle Eastern culture, I think sharing a meal with somebody is considered to be an ultimate sign of friendship. And so Jesus does that with Matthew. Now you notice in verse 9, Jesus did not say to Matthew, How dare you? Or what have you been doing? Or why are you doing this? He simply says, Follow me. And I love that. Because I feel like, at least for me, that's what Jesus spoke to me when I first became a Christian. He met me right where I was and asked me to follow him. Verse 11, the Pharisees did not ask Jesus. You know, some suggested that this might be because this group of Pharisees have been burnt once or twice publicly. And so um, 
thinking they can get away with it, they wanted to ask his disciples. Well, we know from verse 13 that did not happen. Jesus heard their complaints and asked them to go back to their Bibles and learn about grace and mercy. Those words there are found in Hosea 6.6, and it's actually pronounced chesed in the Hebrew language. This was an insult. Jesus was insulting them because they've clearly missed a point and failed to show grace and mercy to people like Matthew and tax collectors. I think this is a great example of the great physician doing a house call to heal a bunch of notorious sinners according to society. A bunch of questions were raised on why Jesus sat down to have a meal with tax collectors and other sinners. Which tells us a lot about the state of the Pharisees' spiritual walk. They viewed a righteous rabbi would never sit down and share a meal with these notorious sinners. I think the real question they should have asked is, why aren't they sharing a meal with the spiritually, physically ill people of society? After all, aren't they the spiritual leaders who are supposed to guide these people into God? Clearly not. The other story I want to look at is found in John 8. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, I'll be picking up in verse 3 to 11. So again, that's John 8, verse 3 to 11. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. And Jesus strained up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and lead your life of sin. So just some takeaways that I jotted down from John 8. You notice that they plotted to shame this woman right where Jesus was teaching. This is likely because, as we know from Scripture, that wherever Jesus was teaching publicly, there was a large crowd following him and listening to him intently. You also notice that they only brought in the woman. Well, to commit adultery, you need, you need two people, don't you? Why was it only the woman was brought in? Upon doing some research, some have debated that this is because... Um, Maybe the, the person who committed adultery with this woman was closely associated with the Pharisees. And so they did not want to make their circle of friends look bad. And so they only brought the woman in. You notice that, you, you notice Jesus' response. He ignored them without saying a word. He knew their motives. You know, this reminds me, for those of us who are married, uh, you ever have a moment when you say something really silly 
to your wife and she just kind of looks at you and shakes her head and walks off. Um, this is what, what it reminds me of. Now, the accusers were so occupied with the woman's sin, they forgot about theirs. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, 3, he raises this question. He says, why do you look at the speck of the sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Sometimes we get so occupied with, our, with other people's problems and other people's sinful behavior, we forget about ours. And this is what they're doing here. I love the way Jesus handled this situation. He handled it with complete meekness, grace, and mercy. Now, some have suggested that Jesus is not serious about adultery. But that's not the case, as we see at the end of verse 11 there. Jesus tells her to leave her life of sin. Now, Jesus is not okay with adultery. But he is okay with forgiveness. You know, a few Christmases ago, I had an opportunity to read this story to my mom. And after reading this story to her, she started to tear up. I asked her, why were you crying? Why are you crying? And she said that she's never in her life heard of anybody show this type of grace and mercy. There are many other stories that you can find where Jesus demonstrates his ability as a great physician. You know, you hear many people say sometimes they are, um, that they need to change their lives before committing to Jesus. Or they're just not ready yet. The truth is, we change after we know Jesus rather than change and then follow Jesus. And we can see that from those examples. I think it's critical to remember that Jesus paid the price. Which brings us to the second point of my lesson. We have been forgiven for our sins. We are reminded in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's important to note that this was God's work. This is God's plan. And it's also important to distinguish that Jesus never became a sinner. He was treated as if he was one, which goes to show the extent of love that God has for us. I must admit, I struggle with this. God's love is so incredible that he sent his son to be treated like someone deserving of sin. Yet, he was sinless. Can you imagine being something you're not and yet dying for it? I can't. Now, Jesus was humiliated, spat on, whipped, and nailed to the cross, just so we can be redeemed through his blood. God has a precise plan for us, and the hard part is done. It's up to us to accept his plan and allow his son to lead us into grace, sorry, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. I want you to think about Jesus' mission as a great physician. You know, he made a house call to earth. He diagnosed our condition. He provided the cure. And best of all, he paid the bill. 
I think sometimes as Christians, uh, as Canadians, we tend to brag about how wonderful our healthcare system is, especially compared to our neighbors down south, and rightly so. But I think as Christians, don't we have the best spiritual healthcare there is? Can anybody provide what Jesus has provided? I, I don't think there is. Now moving on to my last point of our lesson. How do we show love for sinners today in a practical way? How does that look? I jotted down a few things. There may be more, but some of the things, one of the first things that I thought of was listening. Listening and showing grace and mercy to others. I think listening is so effective. Just being there for somebody and letting them know that you're, you're, you're here for them, you're listening, you're not trying to solve their problem, goes a long way. One other way we can practice showing love for sinners in a practical way is to carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 reminds us to carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we practice carrying each other's burdens, we're fulfilling the law of Jesus. That should motivate us to do that. I want to pull a page out of Jesus' book, and that is by sharing a meal with somebody. Open your house to others. And I think here at Central, we do a fantastic job of that, because I remember when I was a lost sheep walking into the doors of Central, um, the second week that I was here, a couple by the name of Ben and Darlene Wall, which many of you know, uh, they invited me over to their home. They did not know me whatsoever, um, and yet they opened their home to me and asked me to share a meal with them. And um, I can tell you that that spoke to me in a way that helped me wanting to come back to this church. And I felt the love from them. And until today, we have a wonderful friendship with them, and I'm so thankful for their acts of kindness. And so I encourage you to do that, to share a meal with others. One other way how we can show love for sinners is acts of service. When we see each other struggling, I think it's, it's important to, to look and be proactive and, and look at how we can serve, see the need and step up to the plate. Because after all, isn't that what Jesus did for us? Didn't Jesus lend a hand to us so that we can be drawn closer to him? Now, once we do all those things, I think the most important thing we can do is by sharing the gospel. Telling them about God's plan of salvation in a loving manner. I think our relationship has to go to that level because ultimately it is God who forgives sins. It is God who can redeem people. Sometimes in churches, we get offended when we hear or encounter spiritual sickness. But it's important to remember, wherever the great physician is, there's going to be sick people. We should count it a blessing when we see people, whether members or visitors, sharing their life struggles. In the church, because it shows that this is a hospital where they feel comfortable sharing life struggles. Now, if we fail as Christians to effectively show love for those who sin, then who will? 
I think the enemy would sure love to take them so that they would not know Jesus. We're reminded in Colossians 3.13 to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I like the New Living Translation of that verse because of how simple and straightforward it is. We need to be prepared to forgive when someone sins against us. That verse tells us there that to make an allowance which suggests that it's inevitable. Somebody's going to sin about, uh, against us or, or is going to commit sin. And we need to be prepared to leave leeway for forgiveness. Now, notice the verse says anyone. We cannot be selective on who we forgive or show mercy to. It doesn't matter if they're a family member. It doesn't matter what race or country they came from, what their social status is, or whether they are within the church or outside of it. That verse there tells us anyone, and we need to be prepared to do that. And I love the last part of that verse. It reminds us that God forgives us daily. Like I said, sometimes we lose sight of that, that, and it's important to remember that this is something that God does daily. And so we cannot accept God's forgiveness and fail to show it to others. It just doesn't work that way. I wanted to share a story with you by the name of, uh, of a man by the name of Patrick Green. Uh, Patrick was uh, an activist who was an, a- who was an atheist in the town of Athens, Texas. He was really outspoken about uh, being an atheist. And one Christmas uh, season, he really took an offense to the, to, to the courthouse because they decorated the courthouse with uh, the story of Jesus. So they had the manger there, the Christmas tree, and, and he really just got offended. And, and he complained to the courthouse and, and asked them to take it down. Well, the courthouse said, no, this is a tradition we've been doing for years. We're not going to do that. Patrick proceeded by filing a lawsuit against the town of Athens, Texas. And um, shortly after, Patrick began to lose his sight. He went and got it checked out, and they told him that um, you're going to go blind if you don't get this surgery, which does not guarantee that you're going to see. Um, And so anyways, Patrick... um, the, the, the surgery was $20,000. And Patrick, based on his um, financial circumstances, could not afford it. And so he just conceded the fact that he was going to go blind. Now, a, a local, uh, there was a lady in the local church in his town heard this story and actually started a fund for him. She started to raise money for Patrick so that he could get his surgery. And shortly after, there was money pouring in for Patrick. And they gave him the money. Patrick was astonished. And he said, I've never felt this type of love. Here is a person who has a lawsuit against what they stand for, essentially. And yet they raise money for his surgery. I really want to focus in on the faith and the maturity of the lady who started this fund. Because she understood what it is to show love for sinners. Even so, to the point of somebody who was against what they stand for. I think her faith spoke to Patrick so much 
to the point of Patrick becoming a Christian and actually ended up putting the star on a Christmas tree at the courthouse. I think one of the worst things we can do as uh, one of the worst things we can do as a church is create an environment where we tend to look at our brothers and sisters through the eyes of defendants waiting to be sentenced rather than patients who are in need of the great physician that is Jesus. At Central, we often get people walking through the doors and they like to call it church shopping. When you spend a few moments with them and ask them, um, sorry, lost my, my track here. Um, when you spend a, a few moments speaking to them, one common complaint is that um, they, they just don't feel like they are part of, um, they are not connected with anybody at the church that they go to. Or everyone just goes to church and leaves right after. I think that's such a sad statement when you hear that. Because I feel like the purpose of the church is a place where people can come and worship God. And share and encourage one another through our life struggles. We never know what someone is going through and what opportunity we have um, to encourage and uplift someone. I like what a minister once said. He said, I mess up six days of the week. And on the first, I need, the, I need to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Now, in closing, I'm not suggesting that we share all of our dirty laundry with everybody here. But rather to find people that we can trust who are mature in their faith and share our sin problems. Life is extremely hard on your own. So why carry heavy burdens when we have people in our lives that can help us? Romans 3.23 reminds us that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not better than any of you, nor are you better than anyone. Because all of us will sin, and it's important to have grace and mercy like Jesus did. Thank God that he's made a plan of salvation which relies on the actions of Jesus on Calvary. Now, if you're here, if you're someone here that's been thinking about accepting Jesus in your life and want to be redeemed through his blood, please feel free to speak to the elders, to Jay, or anybody here that could help you with your decision as we sing the song of invitation. Thank you very much.